We are going through the book of James. And we are on James chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, James chapter 2. I've really been enjoying this book. Um, I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again in case uh, you missed it or in case you weren't here last week. Who James is. If you're not familiar with who James is, and you know, maybe you know the book of the Bible, but you don't necessarily know the author all that well. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And I kind of want to put that into context for you, because if you kind of understand the author, it kind of makes what he's saying even that more amazing. Because how many of you have siblings, right? How many of you have siblings? And how many of you, if your sibling came to you and said that they were God, that you punched them in the face? And you say, no, I know you, and God, you are not, right? I will take care of that God complex right now, right? You may think you're God, but you are not. You do not walk on water. I don't care what mom and dad think about you. You know, you can kind of even understand how Joseph's brothers felt about him and why they turned on him and how easily jealousy happens in between siblings and sibling rivalry and who mom and dad loves most. There's kind of this running joke in, um, in the uh, booth side of, of my family, my mom's side, and it's always who, you know, grandma or grandpa loved most, you know, mom loved me most or dad loved me most or whatever, kind of this joke, right? But of course, that's not the truth. Of course, mom and dad loves everybody equally and, and things like that. So, okay, so let's go back to Jesus. And he's got this brother named James. James talks about Jesus not as his brother. He talks about Jesus as the living God. What does that say about who God is? If James grew up with this person, right? This obviously, it would have been a half-brother. He would have been younger than Jesus. But he watched Jesus his entire life. His entire life. Growing up, watching this, this brother of his. And that it comes to a point where he no longer sees just his brother, but he sees the living God in front of him. It's amazing to think about. It's amazing to think when you're reading the book of James who the author is, and he was the one who knew him the most intimately, right? We we know the people around us intimately, and we know all of their flaws, correct? If you're married, right, you know your spouse's flaw. If you have siblings, you know your siblings' flaws. If you have best friends, you know your best friend's flaws. Every one of us, the closer and closer we get to somebody, we start understanding their flaws and their, their, their downfalls and their, you know, But James walked with, had dinner with, worked alongside of, you know, what came to family gatherings, celebrated with Jesus, who not only was his brother, but was the son of the living God. And there's proof in the fact that when James pins this letter, there's not an ounce, you don't hear anything, oh yeah, but let me tell you this story about when we were only you know, when we were teenagers and Jesus did, you know, so-and-so. James never goes there because James no longer sees just his brother anymore. He sees the living God. This is proof, you guys. This is just another bit of proof of who Jesus is that even his own brother testifies. Even his own brother testifies in who he is. 
So let's open uh, to the book of James, chapter 2. The overarching message of James is, you know, you got faith? Then let me see it. That's kind of what James is saying. You know, Paul, if, if you go look at the letters of Paul, Paul talks a lot about faith. Faith, you know, to have salvation, you got to have faith. You got to believe. You got to believe, you know. It's not about works. This is why we have to be careful in, in not only our religion, but religions that are based on works only. This is just why we have to be careful. And by the way, this happens in Christianity. I'm, I am not saying that Christianity is impervious to this. In fact, it's a very easy thing, a very easy trap to fall in that we think our worth comes from our works. If I work harder, I will be worth more, right? We, we, we tend to think that. If I'm a, a good person and if I work really, really hard at being good, then that's what's going to get me notoriety or that's going to get me into you know, heaven or, or whatever. And Paul completely annihilates that. He says it's belief, it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works alone. But then James comes along and James kind of adds on to Paul, kind of where Paul stops, James picks up and James says, okay, but let's take this a step further. There's also one way to show that someone has faith is through their actions. Watch them, right? There's that scripture that talks about you will know them by their fruits, correct? Right? You will not know them because they're fruity, right? Because where a lot of us are fruity, so I'm sorry, Star, I took a dive. That was a sideways. I went there. But you will know them by their fruits. You, you will know them by the fruits that they bear, by their actions. Actions speak louder than words, right? Talk is cheap. Anyone ever heard that term? Talk is cheap. I don't know about you, but... It really frustrates me when somebody sells me a product and it doesn't do what it says it's going to do, right? How many ever just gets you? You know, I buy this thing and, and it, do, it didn't do what I, what I said it was going to do. I can't tell you how many times we've bought stuff off of Amazon or, 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 or whatever. And it just, it said on the box that it was supposed to do this, this, and this. The worst is technology and the worst is you know, setting up your television to your VCR and this and that, and this thing is supposed to do that, and you're, you're sitting there, and it's supposed to, all of this is supposed to be easy, but it seems to become more difficult, right? More confusing, more frustrating, and all you want to do is throw the remote at the television screen, right? Anybody else? Amen? Anybody? What's a VCR? Oh, did I just say VCR? Sorry. Well, that just dated me. I just dated myself. Yeah. I, at least I didn't say, like, beta. Yeah. So, um, talk is cheap, right? Nobody likes a, a, a sleazy salesman because nobody wants to be sold something that's false, that's fake, that's a lie. Nobody likes, in fact, you know, th this is why... Uh, this is why Honda is working so hard at breaking an image. Because all of you, if I say car salesman, what do you think of? Right? You think of really loud jacket, right? You think of greasy, 
slick back hair, you think of slick guy, you just, this, this picture pops in your head of kind of this 70s dressed looking guy with giant collar and exposed chest hair walking up to you saying, hey, can I sell you a car, right? That's just, that's just the picture that pops into your head, and if it didn't pop into your head, I just put it there. <laughs> and so there's, here's Honda. Honda's working so hard at breaking that image. You know, they've got these nice light blue shirts that are buttoned up, you know, all the way and, and nice clean khaki pants and, and they're, the, they're the what? What are they? The helpful Honda, right? The, now they're helpful. You know, in fact, they, they've left uh, the, the dealership and now they're popping up and they're helping you. They're paying for your, your dinner and they're, you're paying for your movie tickets, right? You know, they're doing all of these things. And why are they doing that? Because they realize talk is cheap. They realize action. The reason why they've turned into the helpful Honda dealers is because they realize we want to show you. We want to stop talking about it. We want to stop schmoozing. We want to stop, you know, with the quick, slick, you know, big words. We're just going to show you. We're just going to serve you. We're just going to help you. This is what James is getting at in Christianity. Talk is cheap is what he's saying. Also, appearances can be deceiving. That's just what we're going to get into to, to James chapter 2. James is going, to, is going to tackle this thing about appearance, about how we, we look and how we view somebody and how we, you know, what we look on the outside and things like that. There's this story, and, I, and I've heard this story, I, I, I feel like, since the, maybe even the late 80s. I, it's a very popular story, but I, I couldn't exactly tell you the pastor in the church, but... There was this pastor who had an idea, and he was trying to prove something, and he had a really, really big congregation. The pastor dressed up as a homeless man, dressed up as a homeless man, and he goes, I mean, he had, they had, I guess, you know, makeup artists and, and, and costume people really, really help him transform himself to where you looked at him and you, you could not tell who it was. So he goes, and I guess he sits outside somewhere of his church. And he just sits and he kind of, you know, gets into character and he's, and he's hanging out there and he's just wanting to see how people will treat him. And the average people just, they walk by. You know, it's, it's what most of us do because we, we, we don't know what to do, right? We don't know what to do or what to say, so I, I'm just going to kind of, you know, walk him by. Someone else will, will take care of it, you know, or someone else will deal with him. So that was the majority. Uh, several times, uh, there was a few people that had asked him to leave. You know, hey, this is private property. You're not, you shouldn't be here. You know, da-da-da. And there were a very small handful that wanted to help him, you know, that gave him some money or, or something like that. So church is starting. Worship happens. And it's time for the pastor to come up. And guess who walks in through the back door? With the pastor who's all dressed in as the homeless man. And he walks in walks down the hallway. Now, of course, there was a few people who knew, so they made sure that he made his, made his way up. And as he's doing, he's starting to take everything off and take all the, make, you know, the thick beard off, the thick wig off and stuff like that. And, of course, he walks up on the stage, and he, you can just hear the crowd. Oh, and you hear just this all of a sudden, right? And, of course, he addresses that. It was his whole sermon that day. It was about appearance and about, you know, how easy it is and, and how, how easy it is to judge, and how easy it is to just, you know, you didn't even know that was me. But did it matter? 
They didn't matter whether it was the pastor or if it was just a man. So let's get into this. This is where James talks about this. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, a warning against prejudice. Verse 1, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Wow. James just comes right out and says it. A question to get you thinking. Okay, so you have faith in Jesus? Show me, right? Show me. You got faith in Jesus? Show me. And probably how all of us are right now, you're probably thinking, oh, you know, oh, God, and, and you know, your mind just starts going. And I would imagine that is exactly how the church, when they were reading James's letters and, you know, as he was encouraging the church, you know, how they must have felt. Like, like what, what does that mean? What, what do we need to do? So he says this, verse 2, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, or I'll even add, get out. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So James paints a picture. He gives a scenario. Sadly, one that has happened many times over and over and over in the church. Wealth, we assume, is a sign of God's blessing, right? When we see someone who's, who's you know, in a very nice suit or, or, or a woman who's got, you know, the, the, just the, the perfect purse, you know, matching her earrings and, you know, jewelry everywhere and the big rock diamond and dress well, you know, as you see this couple walk into the church, what do most of us assume? Wow, they are blessed. Look at those people, blessed. Oh my gosh, right? You know, and I'm talking about, you know, elaborate, driving the nice car, pulling up. We immediately, and I feel like all of us kind of do this, we immediately, before even meeting them, kind of put them up on this pedestal. You know, let's say the guy is a CEO of a very popular, famous company, and, and the woman is a, a prestigious lawyer in a, in a prestigious law firm and all that stuff, we would immediately, without even getting to know them, we would immediately put them on this level, right, of, well, they must be this quality of people if they've made that. And so James is trying to, trying to get at something. In fact, earthly riches are not something that is ever promised to us. God doesn't promise earthly wealth to anybody. He, he, prom he does promise, you know, riches and, and eternal wealth and, and eternal, you know, provisions, but he doesn't necessarily say, in, I, you know, I'm not around to make everybody rich on earth. That, that's not what this whole thing is about. In fact, Jesus even takes that a step further and he says, even as a Christian, be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to suffer, Okay. And so there's this kind of, James is already trying to poke at our, our norm, and he's trying to break that apart, and he's just saying, be careful, you guys. Be careful at putting people on certain levels just because someone has more than another person, because that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, everybody is on the same level playing field. Verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich 
in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised in those who love him? Now, let me just pause here for a second. You know, James is, is, is talking about rich versus poor, but we can all admit right now that, that prejudice, it, it, it's expensive. It expands so much further than just that, than just economic, right? But James is just hitting one thing because maybe it's something that he sees, you know, that's really big in the the church. But assess yourself. And by the way, here's the thing. We're all fallen. We're all living a fallen world. We all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with, you know, our minds and things like that. We all have some level or sort of prejudice you know, towards other people. And what does that mean? That means when you look at someone, you immediately assess them without ever getting to know them. When you look at the physical, and that's what James is really trying to get at. This isn't just a wealth versus poor thing. He's trying to say, what scenarios, you know, if if we were to have a congregation like this and that person was to walk in, is there a type of person that you would say, oh, no, 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 not that person, right? And, and, and I'm going to get into that even more. So verse 5, James, what, James uh, what does James mean when he says God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith? What James is saying is, is not that just because you're poor, that that is this immediately entrance into heaven. That's not what he's saying. And he's not saying just because you're rich, you're disqualified, Right? What he's saying, and even Jesus addressed addressed this with a rich man, he's saying usually those who have a dependency only on God, you know, where where they don't have anything else to to depend on. That's why if you go to third world countries, I've I've ministered and, and spoken and preached in third world countries, and the response is amazing. Well, you know, when I ask them if they want to receive Jesus Christ, you know, every hand comes up. When I, when I ask them if they want healing, every hand comes up. And, and it's amazing. I, there's nothing special about me because I've preached the, the same message in the United States as I have in third world countries, but I've seen completely different results. And the reason is, is because there's something about when someone's life depends on God. When someone says, you know, in my country, we don't have medi- medication to take this thing away. Or, or I don't have, you know, I can't just go to the bank and make a withdrawal. Or I can't just go down to the lar- you know, local you know, pharmacist and get, you know, that pill to take that pain away or whatever. They live in a place where they are dependent on God alone. So if you offer God to them, they, 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 they take it. And of course, their faith is made stronger because they see God in action every single day of their lives. But we live in a culture and we live in a country where we have many things to depend upon, right? When you have a headache, what do you do? You go, good, headache's gone, right? Sometimes you grab a cup of coffee like I do. Got a headache? You know, what, what do we do? When, when, we're, when we're dependent, we depend upon ourselves a lot in our culture. In fact, if anything, I think we struggle with this idea of, of faith, of this idea of dependency, because we know that there are resources out there to kind of get us out of a jam, right? Loans get you out of a jam. Medication get you out of a jam, right? We, we seem to be able to rely on our own resources. And by the way, I'm not saying those things are evil. It's not what I'm saying. 
I'm talking about dependency. I'm talking about where do you go first? Where do you go first? Because by the way, I've actually seen God, when, they, when people have gone to God, I've seen God guide them to a certain doctor that's helped them or a certain medication or, or, or a certain you know, way of, of financial freedom or, or something like that. I am not saying that those aren't good resources, but when that's all we depend upon, then it's backward. And that's what James is getting at. He's saying, be careful here. So what does it mean, you know, when, when James is saying that the poor will be rich in faith, he's saying that because they only have God to depend upon. And that's where we need to come. We need to come to that kind of place, you guys. We need to come, we need to try to get out of the knee-jerk reaction of when, when something uncomfortable comes along that we don't immediately go to what we think is the quick fix. Because maybe God has something even more for you. Right? Maybe God, I'm just throwing this out there, maybe God wants to take your headache away. Right? Maybe God wants to comfort you in that moment instead of that whatever thing comforting you. Maybe God wants to show a miracle in your life that may kind of seem small. May almost say, oh God, I don't want to bother you with this. I'll just, I'll just take care of it. But that's not the kind of God he is. He cares about the big things and the small things. He does care about the, the little headaches, you know, that you have. Verse 6, verse 6, but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So James is talking about this uh, in verse 8, this royal law. What does he mean when he says royal law? See, there's the law, right? There's the Old Testament law. But then Jesus came. And Jesus was a fulfillment of the law. And Jesus, the king, King Jesus, because he is royal, King Jesus, the one who sits on the throne, there's the royal law. And Jesus' law was what? Love one another. Love one another. Love others as, as you would love yourself, right? In fact, you know, Jesus acted it out. In fact, love people so much that you would even lay down your life or, or your needs and wants, you know, that, that it's the sacrificial love. That was the message of Jesus Christ. Love. It was love. That's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus talked about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, they even, they even, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Because they were even wanting it all defined for them. And Jesus probably wanted to slap them. Are you kidding me? Who's your neighbor? And so, of course, he tells this very beautiful story. And it was that one guy. It was actually that one guy that there was prejudice with. It was a Samaritan. Samaritans were 
filthy, dirty. They were, they, you know, they were half-breeds. They were, uh, you know, they, they believed in, in other, other gods. And, and to a Jew, you know, a Samaritan was just dirty. He was just, they were below them. And Jesus just gets right to the matter of the fact. He goes, there's prejudice in you. So how if I say to love your neighbor, you can't even love that person, then you don't have love in you. And James, is, he gets right to the point, too. He kind of just keeps hammering that home as, as Jesus did. Verse 12. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Remember, James is addressing the issue of faith. If you truly believe, right? This is a way of, of, of testing, of testing your faith. If you truly believe, you will act it out. If you truly believe, we will be able to see it in how you treat other people. You guys, I, I want to just say something, and, I, and I'm saying this to the, the group, no one individually, Right? But I believe that if we're going to be the true church of Jesus Christ, everybody that walks through that door needs to be loved on. Every, every single person. Now, now, whether they choose to follow God, to love, I mean, that's on them. And that's not what we're about, right? You know, the old adage, you can leave a, lead a horse to water type of thing. That's, that's all our job is to do, is to lead them to Christ. We lead people to Christ. We lead them by loving on them. We, we, we leave, you know, by, by building relationships with them, by helping guide them, by helping just continuing to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, whether they receive that, that is on them. But Jesus' command to us is to love, to love sacrificially, so that even when you see someone, whether they be rich or poor, or of another ethnicity, another background, another even religion, if someone was to walk in through that door, all are welcomed. All are welcomed. All would be loved on. And you would never, ever say, you know what, that person deserves it more than that person. This is what James is getting at. And if anything, he's only saying what Jesus spoke on. Verse 14. He kind of, James kind of goes back into this, this faith versus works kind of you know, thing. Verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you, you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? James is saying, if you have the means to help somebody, then do it. If you have the means to help somebody, then do it. There's, Jesus talks about, he paints this picture of judgment day for us, okay? And, and if, you're under, if you're unfamiliar with that term, it's, it's the day that we will all stand before the, the Lord. We will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. When he will judge all of us. This is it. Judgment day. And Jesus paints this picture of what it will look like. He says that he will separate sheep from goats. Just like a shepherd who separates sheep 
from goat, that Jesus will come and he will separate sheets from goat. And then he says that he will look at the sheep and he will say, thank you. Thank you for, for when I was in prison, you came to me. For when I was naked, you clothed me. For when I was hungry, you fed me. For when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And the sheep look back at Jesus and they say, when did we do that? Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. As as if it was me. And then he turns to the goats. And he says to the goats, Why didn't you come when I was in prison? Why didn't you feed me when I was hungry? Why didn't you give me something to drink when I was thirsty? Why didn't you clothe me when I was naked? And they shout out and they say, Jesus, when were you ever in prison? When were you ever naked? When were you you ever hungry and thirsty? And Jesus looks right at the goats and he says, if you you had done it to the least of these, then you would have done it unto me. But you didn't. You know what I believe? I used to think that this was the saved people, right? The, the Christians and the unchristian. I'm not quite sure. I almost think he's talking to the people, the goats, the people that called themselves Christians or said they believed, and then the true believers. That's just me going out there on a limb. So let the Holy Spirit, you know, take that one. It, but this is kind of what James is trying to get at. Just because we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, let's just be careful because if our actions don't prove that. James hammers this one home. He keeps going on. Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith. Others have good deeds, you know. Some people, are just their, their strength is their faith. They're just, they believe in everything. And some other people, it's just, they just love to serve. They love to, you know, to do good works is kind of, you know, what the, maybe the argument is. But, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? James says, hey, listen, I want to remind you something. Even the demons believe in God. That doesn't mean they're saved, right? You can believe in God. You can say that there's a God. And by the way, let me take a step back and then let me talk about our culture right now. There is a lot of people in our culture that say they believe in God. And this is where we need to be careful. This is where we need to be careful that just because someone uh, famous or, or, or wealthy or some, you know, businessman or woman or some, you know, high and mighty, you know, political person gets up and says, I believe in God. Well, okay, you can say that, but we'll see, right? We'll see by your actions. That's how you will know somebody, by their fruit. As Jesus said it, you will know them by their fruit, not by what they say. So be careful. I'm saying this, be careful. You know, I I see this in, in Christendom, in the church at large. You know, a famous person comes up, whether it's a singer, right? 
you know, and, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, thank you, God. I give God all the glory and I give da 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 da. But you don't, you know, then you just you hear about their life and it's just a mess. You know, I, by the way, I, I'm not meaning to judge because only God knows. But I'm saying for us, though, to be careful not to necessarily jump on some person's bandwagon or do what James is saying and immediately put that person up on a pedestal and say, they are definitely amazing because they're, they have so much influence and they say they believe in God and all that kind of stuff. James is saying, be careful. Be careful. You don't know. You don't know. It's by actions. That's how you'll know. It's by how they live out their life. That's how you'll know. Verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham has shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Your faith will be tested just like Abraham's was. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, Abraham and Sarah are promised a son. And they get old. And it's not until they're very old that they finally have Isaac. Isaac, their son. So Isaac kind of gets to this you know, young, strapping age. And God says, I want you to take Isaac up and I want you to sacrifice him. Uh, excuse me, God, did I just hear you right? Yeah, I, I, you know, I gave him to you and I want you to give him back to me. You know, he said, I, I told you I'd bless you with a son. I didn't say, you know, didn't say anything more about that. Can, I, I, I can't fathom that. I just want to let you know, I, I am not at all saying I, I would react and I would do exactly how, you know, Abraham did it, but it, but it gets me questioning, like, Lord, what, what is it that, that maybe you're asking me to kind of put on that spiritual altar? What is it that maybe you're saying, you know, Matthew, you're holding on to that thing too tightly. You're almost worshiping it. And that's what God was, was testing Abraham with. Do you, are you worshiping me or is all your worship been wrapped up into your, this son of yours? And so he tests Abraham. And of course, we all know the story. He takes Isaac up there and he puts him on the altar and and, and just as he raises, you know, the knife, God says, stop, stop right now. You do not have to sacrifice your son. You know, and that's the ram, and he's able, they're able to sacrifice a ram. And, and, and you know, there's, of course, this, all this picture of, of Jesus and, you know, the Messiah out of this one story. But, but what James is trying to say is Abraham's faith was tested, and because he was obedient, he was counted as righteous. He was counted as a friend of God because God was the most important thing to Abraham. So what is it? What is it that maybe you hold on to so tightly that could have even been a promise from God, but you hold on to it so tightly that it almost becomes your God, that it almost becomes the thing that when God says, hey, you're holding on to that thing a little too tightly, do you trust me? And you may need to, to, to put that thing on the altar and you may need to trust God with it. You may need to walk around with an open hand like this, that even though God may put something there, you need to keep your hand open and never like this. Because this says, I trust you. This says, I don't trust you, right? This says, I trust you. This says, I don't trust you, God. Here we go. Verse 25, Rahab. 
Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. It is not coincidence that James drops Rahab into this story, right? Because even today, if we said the word prostitute, right, we instantly, we, you know, we would say, oh, that's something we all need to stay away from, right? Hide the kid's eyes, right? Right? But James is trying to poke at something. He's saying, be careful, though. Just be careful with that. Because even a prostitute needs Jesus. Even a prostitute's heart can be turned to God. And he even uses Rahab as this example. Rahab was a prostitute. And when the people of Israel were, were about to march on Jericho, uh, Joshua sends two spies. And Rahab knew that God was real. She could sense it. She could feel it. She could hear the murmuring in, in Jericho. They were afraid. And she said, ooh, this God, this God of Israel is real. This is the real deal. And so when the spies come in, she puts her own life at risk by hiding Joshua's two spies. And because of that, her and her whole household were safe. It says that she was counted as righteous because she, her faith turned into action, right? Her faith turned into action. What is? What is in your heart today? Because even though we can only see what is on the outside, just know that God can see in, right? God sees the heart. I think of that story, and I'll, I'll end with this. I think of that story when, when Samuel is told to go anoint a new king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse, and he's, he sees Jesse's strapping sons, right? These young men, muscular, good-looking some of them probably tall. And God says, Samuel, do not look at the outward appearance. He says, because that's not what I do. I look at the heart. I look at the heart. Do not look at the outward appearance, Samuel. Because God knew. So two things for you. Two things to leave with you. Be careful of judging anyone on the outward appearance. And by the way, this is a conviction of my own, and I'm, I'm going to be very open and transparent. I get a little jumpy and leery when I see someone dressed in particular garb that would immediately tell me what kind of religion they are. Anybody know where I'm going with this? And I immediately go, oh, oh get away from that person. But that's not, that's not the heart of the Father, right? We don't know. We don't know what's going on in someone's heart, in someone's life. We don't know. We are to always be open, always be ready to love on somebody. Who is it to you? You know what I mean? What, what is it to you? What is that where you immediately look at that person and you, and you, you know, bring judgment upon that person? God's saying, careful, because you'll be judged by that same way. Be careful. And you guys, as a church, this is what, this is what James, and this is even what I'm getting back at. If we want our church to grow, right? If we want us to grow in relationship, if we want us to grow in love, if we want us to grow in all the things that I believe are good growth for a church, then we need to have this kind of love, unprejudiced love, love that does not judge, right? Love that does not judge. And that's what James is getting at. And then the second thing is, know that God sees your heart. So be careful how you present yourself on the exterior right? Because 
God sees your heart. And this is why we can be real. This is kind of even going back to, my, to that kind of first statement. When, you know, if somebody else asks you, hey, how are you doing? Be honest. I'm not doing good today. I'm not going to put on a face today. I'm not going to fake it. Actually, it's funny. I, I actually love acting, but I actually hate faking how I really feel. You know, I, I actually would rather be real with you. Can we be that kind of church? Can we be a kind of church that we're real with each other, but in love, that we're honest with each other, that we're, we're accepting of the person, you know what I mean, as James has instructed us? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you first that you loved and accepted us for who we were. That there was nothing that we had to do to earn your love. We didn't have to dress a certain way. We didn't have to talk a certain way. We didn't have to act a certain way. That you loved us just who we were. That you never, ever said that there was one person better than another just because they had more than another. So, Father, help us. Help us not to do that to each other. Not to judge. Not to look at the exterior, but to look in the heart. Because to be honest with you, all of us have something in common. We all need a Savior. We're all imperfect. We all need help. We all can't do this life on our own. That is why God and Jesus created the body of Christ, the church, so that we could do this thing together. So let's, let's not exclude anyone. And this goes for me too. I have a question for you. You've never ever asked Jesus Christ into your life. If you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins and you have even felt, you know, kind of unworthy of that, which is why you've never done it. Or maybe you've kind of grown distant with God. Maybe you felt kind of what I was saying. You felt like, you know what, I've made too many mistakes. There's no way God could love me. But you've come to the realization that that isn't true, that he does love you. And that there's nothing that you could, could do to separate from him. And you would say, you know what, I, I want that today. I want to accept the love of Jesus Christ today. I want to accept the forgiveness of sins today. Would you just simply slip up your hand and, and, and look at me so that I can, I can see that?
you just need to know that you're not alone. Maybe you're the one feeling isolated. Maybe the enemy has gotten into your head and said that you're not worthy, that you're the oddball out, that because you don't act or dress or talk a certain way, but you realize that Jesus loves you for who you are. And you just need to be encouraged by that. I, we would like to pray with you this morning. We're going to go back into one more worship song. And while we do that, we've, we've got a, a, a few couples up here, Sheila and I included, and we'd love to pray with you. Please don't leave this place without us encouraging you. The Bible also says to lay hands on the sick. We'll do that. You can be sick in body. You can be sick in heart. You can be sick in mind. We believe in healing here. We believe that God is the God of restoration. We believe that God is the God of healing. So if you would stand with me, we're going to kind of close out our service with one last song, but we're also going to be available to pray with you if you need it.